This is episode 58 of your weekly music podcast. And we're not going to talk about hardcore this week. Uh, actually, we are. Because mm. we always do. <laughs> thanks for joining in. Um, and yeah, just thanks for all the support the last few weeks and the last few episodes. And uh, through the whole For The Record experience, it's been great. So thanks a million. Um, my name is Sean Tierney. I suppose I should introduce myself. And with me, as always, is my wonderful, beautiful, radiant co-host, Mr. Zach Boogie. You know, I was thinking the other day, we might have to start considering uh, not rebranding the, the podcast as like a hardcore primarily podcast, <laughs> but but we like other music and we and like the odd time we'll check out an indie album or a pop album or a real heavy metal album. But I mean, the ratio at the moment is like we're, we're verging on like a fucking hard lore-esque podcast that just came, that that branches out from time to time. I think we need to accept we aren't the just genreless any album will do, boys. We are because we're both just so obsessed with hardcore. Well, the, the thing is, we we really are like we 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 will review anything, but it's just anything. that the only things that we're kind of getting excited about just seem to kind of have tendrils at least in the hardcore world. But uh, I think I think our <laughs> our monolith uh, hardcore episode probably demonstrated that pretty well to anyone listening. Yeah, so well, I think it's less as well to do with the fact we intended to start a hardcore centric podcast and more to do with the fact that we are just both in sync. And I think we aren't alone in the fact that hardcore is just the most burgeoning and popular and best heavy genre at the moment. And it's like it's branching out beyond heavy fucking confines. So, I mean... That's why we talk about it so much. Like, but it is definitely becoming. I find we. I think we, I'm starting to accept that we are a heavy, hardcore music podcast for the most part. But will review an Arctic Monkeys or a fucking Dua Lipa? <laughs> yeah. Like we yeah, will. Yeah, yeah, we will. We promise we will. It's just you know, it's just the way things are at the moment, and there's nothing we can really do about it. But the tunes are just so good. That's it. You know, that's it. It's just all about the tunes. Um, before we get into what we're talking about this week, I have a really big question to ask you, and we haven't discussed this off air, but monumental news in the world of music. Are you ready, Zach, for the return of Creed? What? <laughs> have you not what? seen this, no? No. Creed. Got... Is he Creed, got... as in rock rock. my sacrifice, uh, with arms wide open, Creed are after they blacked out Hold their on. social media. You can't just, my sacrifice, arms wide open. What's higher, that other? Higher. Higher. What, what, is it one last breath? Yeah. Is it one I'm last breath? I'm six feet from the edge and I'm big <laughs> Maybe six feet and so any better similar. And, um, so, and so you are excited. Yeah, man. I, I, when I was a kid, I had the, I owned Weathered on CD. Literally because Creed obviously struck a deal with the WWE back when they were WWF. Mm, absolutely. Sacrifice for like, I think it was WrestleMania 17. So I think every one of those, us young people, nearly every second person had a copy of Weather just because of WWE. WrestleMania and, 17 was my way by Limp Bizkit. 
Oh, was it? Then that was. Oh, believe me. Do you remember the the package yes, with no, Stone Cold and The Rock? It's like the yeah. best video package of all time. With yes. my way as a soundtrack, unbelievable. On a quick tangent, I actually remember that because I remember coming home from school and my brother was watching my buddy had taped it for him in Sky Sports 1 and my brother had the flu and I came home to my brother crying in hysterics because Stone Cold had betrayed The Rock and joined Vince McMahon. Yeah. My brother was actually bawling like someone had died. Like yeah. We all we all, we all think we live unique lives and we really don't no, because I had the exact same experience. Yeah, we were all in fucking tandem with each other. Yeah. But there was there was definitely I think my sacrifice was used for some wrestling. Oh, it was a hundred percent. And I remember I distinctly remember too. I had a I had a Scream Three soundtrack that I bought like when I was in the states as a kid, and two things I distinctly remember about that Creed soundtrack were. Creed What If was the big song for that movie. What if, what if, ah! Fucking terrible song in hindsight. It, it's and, a pretty bad song. But, do you know, it was on that Scream soundtrack as well, for total random tangent, because I was a young guy, and it was before I'd gotten into Slipknot, Wait and Bleed was on that soundtrack, but it was a different recorded version of Wait and Bleed. It's the one where he's where Corey is like sing rapping the verses instead of growling them. Mm. So when the, I got uh, the actual, that's the Terry date mix, I think. Yeah. So I when think. I got the Slipknot album and then heard wait and bleed the album version, it was far more terrifying than yeah. the one I had become accustomed to from that screen three mm. soundtrack. But to bring it back, the last thing I've heard about Creed is when Scott Stapp put up that like video of himself yeah. in black and white, a good few years back. And he looked like he had amphetamine psychosis. Well, that's look, the last I heard of Cree. I don't know, man, but they blacked out their social media, which is usually a sign of things to come. And then they like updated their oh. profile picture. So as 2023, as that is a way of announcing a kind of return. Um, and by the time people hear this episode, we might actually know what that means. This could be fucking reissues of, of records for all we know. But there's activity in the camp of Creed, which is pretty amazing <laughs> in 2023. But like, yeah, I think it's pretty cool. Uh, like, I'm, I wouldn't you know, want to see it, but I know there's a lot of people who get really excited for it. It's that thing where, you know, I was literally about to say, who is it, in all fairness, who's getting excited about Creed getting back together? And then on the other hand, I'm like, buggy, like Stained are still selling out venues. Yeah, like, very true. There are, there are people who, who like who didn't go beyond Stained and Creed and late 90s, early 90s, butt rock. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that either. No, no, if that's, if that's what you're what, into, anything you get excited about, it's cool. Fuck yeah, exactly. And something I'm very excited about is what we're going to talk about today. Um, but before we get into what we're talking about, we're going to do a little bit of a background because I feel that that's important. Uh, oh, yeah. for, any, for anyone listening, um, you might have just seen the title of the episode, Better Lovers, might mean absolutely nothing to you. Um, but here's why it should. Better Lovers kind of appeared out of almost nowhere. Um, there was no promotion. It just happened. I said there was a post on the members' respective Instagrams saying the better lovers are Jordan Buckley, Steve Michichi, Clayton Goose Hollyoak, Will Putney and Greg Pucciato. Now, those names might seem a little familiar to some of you listening and they fucking should because Jordan Buckley, Steve Michichi, and Clayton Goose Hollyoak are three 
of the five members of the sadly departed every time I die. May I also just say, I don't know if I've actually ever brought this up or if I've just forgotten in my ramblings when we've been doing episodes, but on previous episodes, we've talked about underrated bands and slept on bands and stuff like that. Uh, I just wanted to just, just make sure that I had confirmed with you that Fear Before the March of Flames, who I talked about in an underrated band episode, mm-hmm. and subsequently Orbs, who were an offshoot of Fear Before the March of Flames mm-hmm. with members between the Buried and Me. Clayton Goose, Hollyoaks, the drummer in both those bands before he was in Every Time I Die. No way. Yeah. He, he joined for the last two Fear Before albums, and then he was the drummer on the first Orbs album. So that I knew Goose very intimately as an artist before I realized he had become the latest, the final drummer for Every Time I Die before they're untimely disbanding. But like, cool. so that I, I have mad love for Goose in other projects mm. as well. <clears throat> that boy is a drummer extraordinaire. But yeah, Absolutely. I just wanted, to, just wanted to let you know that little bit of tangential linkage there. I did not know that. I did not know that. That's good knowledge right there, sir. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other names then was Will Putney who is in Fit for an Autopsy. He's also in End. And I suppose he's probably best known for being a producer. He is, say, he is, isn't he? Yeah. I, 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 Not being facetious, I mean, I don't listen to Fit for an Autopsy. I couldn't name you a single song. And End are a fun supergroup. But like, I first and foremost know Will Putney as a producer because he's just... And it's the thing, like, he produces so many new albums that come out that I love and pre-albums that have come out in the last couple of years. But then I rediscover albums that I used to love and I'm like, holy shit, Putney produced that too. That, like, to me, that boy's a producer first and foremost nowadays. Like, I, I think that's almost inarguable, really. Yeah. You know, I think that, like... With a resume like that, like... His resume is amazing. I mean, he's produced Norma Jean, Straight From The Path, Body Count, fucking um, Knock Loose. Like, he's produced everyone any kind of big names in kind of metalcore hardcore like he's 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 probably worked with some with them in some form um mm. and the final member of uh this new band better lovers is greg Pochato, who obviously is the ex-singer from dillinger and he's famous for his own solo projects and you know um the, the black queen, black queen all, you know killer be killed killer Fucking... be killed like he's he's a really busy man so he is um now, with that when, kind of I would pedig- say, when, when Better Lovers was announced, my very first thought was, how the fuck does Greg Pusciato have the time to do this? <laughs> yeah. I was like, I get it. I get it. The three boys lost time I die. They needed a new product. Will Putney, he produces mostly, and then he does his bands when he can. But Greg, like, everywhere I turn, it's like, oh, there's a new Killer Be Kill coming. Oh, here's Greg's solo album. Oh, but apparently he's working on another Black Queen EP. Oh, didn't Greg's solo album just come out? No, this is another Greg's solo album. Oh, now he's, he's, the, singer, he's the singer with uh, Jerry Cantrell's band as well. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> fucking hell, Greg, slow down. Like, take a weekend off, bro. Seriously. Like. Um, with with the, the pedigree of the members on show here, uh, like <laughs> my missus thought there was something wrong when the lineup was announced because I just screamed out loud like fuck off and like she was like she was worried like you know I, I just couldn't I couldn't believe my eyes Um, because for those of you who don't know I'm sure I've mentioned it in a couple episodes like every time I die are they're in my top 10 favourite bands ever possibly top 5 I was devastated when that band broke up like i mean like beyond heartbroken um 
And they were, it, they broke up. We're not going to get into it because there's no point, really. I mean, we don't know the ins and outs of it. But they broke up no. because of a, a kind of a breakdown of communication and a kind of a friction between Jordan Buckley, who's the guitarist in Every Time I Die, and now Better Lovers, and Keith Buckley, who is his brother and who is the singer of Every Time I Die. Um, as I said, like devastated. But then there was all these rumours that, you know, the the music, the musical side of uh, Every Time I Die, we're going to release some music together with a new singer, a new project. And I was like, oh, cool. And then Keith says he's releasing new music as well, which there's been no whispers of really. Um, when, when I was thinking about who could fill in for Keith Buckley, in my mind, that's an impossible task because Keith Buckley is a, is a technically very good screamer. He's a good singer, but he brings a charisma and a kind of a humor and a lyricism and a wit, kind of witticisms to every time I die that really like, for me, tipped them over the edge, despite how brilliant they are musically. Um, uh, I agree, uh, because you know, because I was a latecomer to every time I die. And, and I, I mean, when I was younger, I had tried, but I was so into like heavy, heavy. I couldn't, I wasn't really vibing with the Southern tinted groove they rock with. And then, as I got older and my tastes kind of like changed and I, I, my tastes kind of branched out and then I really started to click with Keith's like absurdist, tongue-in-cheek, shitheadedry, like strange metaphor, like quirky lyricism because it creates this like, you know, every time I like can be so angry and so feral but quirky and humor but, and then it also like, and then he's almost able to like, I find every time I could like dig into like really like, you know, enraging issues in a way that wasn't like, oh, the world is fucked, but more like, you know, I find sometimes you can like, you can, you can identify with something more when there's humor in it and mm. someone's poking a pick, picking apart the absurdity of it and Keith's wit. It just, I totally agree. It's, yeah. It was no, no disrespect to the band, but he was integral in why they had such longevity and such like staying power because of his personality and charisma. He's he's an incomparable frontman and lyricist. He is like. I think that that really was my issue with the Every Time I Die camp going forward. I was like, how the fuck do you replace the irreplaceable? You know, because I, like all like full transparency, like like I, I, I love Keith Buckley. I adore him. I don't know what happened within the camp. I don't know who's at fault. I don't want to get into that. But I was just like, how the fuck do you replace him? And like, I was kind of, trying to think of who it might be. Uh, the only one I could think of was like Jason Butler, but then he's got fever and whatever. And and then I, I was thinking maybe... Jason Butler, is impossible to, Jason Butler is impossible to work with too, which we've just seen by the evidence as well. Apparently, like. apparently for... Uh, that's the way it seems anyway. Again, we don't know the ins and outs, but from the outside, he that just is seems to, very much how he it looks. He have trouble locking down a lineup who stay with him for more than like two full-length projects. Like Yeah. Um... The only other one I could think of was maybe someone like Daryl Palumbo from Glassjaw. But given his kind of notoriously flaky kind of, you know, that he he suffers with uh, Crohn's, isn't it? Daryl has, yeah. I think. And like, yeah. you know, if, if they wanted to make this a full-time project going forward, they mightn't have gone that direction. So I had no idea. It never, <laughs> because of what you described of his insane schedule, it never crossed my mind that Greg Pucciato from the Dillinger Escape Plan could join this band. And right, that was a little kind of 
uh, epitaph or eulogy for every time I die. I think Dillinger, um, in terms of like the bands that we both love, they'd be very close to being our like joint, as in our combined favorite band. They'd be up there with the likes of Tool and Nine Inch Nails and Deftones, like for the shared love we have for them. Well, I think one of the first things we bonded over as teenagers was our love for Dillinger. When yeah. We were in, you, you were in like fucking Fear of the South and I was yeah. in like Arkham and Sister of the Nerve and we're in our old bands and in between gigs, like we just be kind of, oh, Chat, you doing? Shit, what? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we both, and I remember like kind of one of the first or second proper conversations I had with you, I was like, all I'm listening to these days is like Miss Machine and I works for Dillinger. And you know, I remember you looked at me and you were like, Baby's First Coffin is the greatest song that was ever written. <laughs> yeah, I like that's because I was like, holy shit, what is this music? Like, yeah, same. We were, you know, the they were, same. I suppose, what is it? It's math core. I, I, I'm not, I hate fucking genres, but I guess it's math core. It is, yeah. It's math core. Dillinger based almost created math core. Yeah. Because like, and Dillinger almost goes beyond math core because it's it, like, that's why I was struggling with the genre tag, you know, yeah. because they kind of made it irrelevant on, yeah, uh, works, you know. But like yeah. they were the first exposure to that level of extremity in sound and pushing the boundaries of sound and genre that I had ever had. And Dillinger were a really formative band for the stuff that I listened to. Thanks in no small part to the absolutely incredible talent of Greg Pichato. As a vocalist, there were very, I'm talking purely as a vocalist now. I, Greg is bordering on peerless as in Greg is up with the fucking Mike Pattons of the world, not in the mm -hmm. kind of, you know, I fucking love Sam Carter. He's an extremely talented vocalist, like super talented, but Greg is a level above him. And, you know, he's, yes. he, do you know what I mean? Like in, in the tier list of vocalists, purely on vocal talent, Greg is in the high fucking tier list. You know what I mean? He's, he's Mike Patton-esque, Maynard-esque. That's the level we're talking about for Greg in terms of technicality. Funnily you say that, funnily enough you say that, because for me with Dillinger, the first time I heard them, I was like, it's a no for me, dog. <laughs> I, I literally had just gotten into Bring Me the Horizon with Count Your Blessings, and I saw a review in Metal Hammer, and at the end of their reviews they used to have for fans of and have like three bands, and one of them was Dillinger Escape Plan. And I went, looked up Dillinger, and it was Panasonic Youth. And at this point, as a very close-minded 14-year-old young guy who's just discovering heavy er music, you know, I didn't, I couldn't vibe with a big, muscly dude who looked like he was fucking, he looked like a Chad, you know? He looked like the big, muscly bro bully in Not Another Teen Movie, singing over, like, music my brain could not fucking comprehend at all. And I was just like, this is not my music I, I don't know what is happening here and it wasn't until maybe less than a year later a buddy of mine was like have you heard the dillinger escape plan and i was like i heard one song it wasn't like two gone and he was like let me show you a song and he showed me setting fire to sleeping giants and his exact words were this fucking vocalist goes from an eagle scream to sounding like patrick stump from fallout boy over a math jazz punk song I was like, okay. And when I got to that, tonight, strangers candy, I was sold. I was like, oh my God, I get it now. This guy is just, 
he's a Mike Patton virtuoso fucker. And then I and then I I listened to Miss Machine in full, and then I was like, oh my god, Greg Pichetto is just. And then Ironworks happened, and the rest is fucking history. But yeah, that man is. He he has his own conversation, just like Keith Buckley, about how ridiculous he is, and and like and like you were talking about Keith Buckley's, you know, swagger and charisma and stuff. But Greg is probably like on paper, technically, a a more talented vocalist. Oh, it's uh, uh, unquestionably. It's I I actually, yeah, yeah. to be honest, I fucking adore Keith. Like like look. I have a poster of Keith there from the day the the day I went up to that evening with Keith Buckley show. Like I adore him. No He's shade on right Keith. At me right now. <laughs> no shade on Keith whatsoever. But Greg is a better vocalist. Like I, I just technically a vocalist. He's better, and his he's got charisma as well. Obviously, he's fucking he's a sexy bastard. Like as well. Like you know, and like it's he brings a kind of a weird intense charisma and like a real like ferocious intensity to his live presence as well he's not without charisma but Keith Buckley is a charisma bomb you know and I was I was just wondering yeah. how they were going to deal with that transition to a more technically gifted vocalist but one maybe without the kind of wit and charisma and that kind of side of things, you know, in Keith Buckley. Yeah. And another thing I was really, really interested about was just before we get into the EP, because we are going to get into the EP in a second. Uh, another thing I was really interested about was how they were going to replace Andy Williams, the other guitarist from Every Time I Die. Who was going to do what he did? Because in my head, or my understanding of the band is all the kind of noodly, like really intricate riffing comes from Jordan, the kind of off-kilter, all of that comes from Jordan. And Andy... And the fucking, yeah. Yes, and then Andy comes yeah. with the kind of hulking, groovy bastard riffs, you know? And obviously Andy isn't in the band anymore because he's a now a full-time fucking professional wrestler because that's how cool Andy Williams is. Um... And I just, there's a lot of questions to be answered really with this EP. And this EP, God Made Me an Animal, the first release from Better Lovers, both answers a lot of those questions and leaves some new questions. Um, just before we dive in completely, can I ask, how high were your expectations for this going in? Because I think it might be fairly obvious to everyone listening that mine were astronomically high the idea of the members of one of my ex-favorite bands uh joining up with one of the singers that i am most in love with was almost too much for my feeble little mind to handle to be honest well i'm I, i'm kind of i'm kind of glad and i'm kind of not that you asked me that because when i heard the first single uh 30 under 13 mm -hmm. i Really liked it. Like I, I think it's a great song. Mm -hmm. But how do I word this? I, I definitely found it to kind of be. You, you know when something, you know when you have something in your head, and it sounds identical. <laughs> I know exactly what you're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
it it literally it 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 sounded precisely like I anticipated it to sound. Like it it sounds like a less mathy, more groovy, every time I die esque version of Dillinger, or it sounds like a more a more mathy, like less groovy version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Of every time I die, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it 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 really does sound like an amalgam of the two bands hmm. and. I, as much as I like the single, I will be honest. There were moments in it where, you know, it just made me want to listen to Dillinger or listen to Every Time I Die Again. It felt like it felt like too. It felt like because it's basically like it really did sound like the sum of its parts, like members of Dillinger and Every Time I Die coming together, and. It's really awesome, but I I did feel like I could just be listening to every time I die, and I could just be listening to the Dillinger Escape Plan, and it's gonna take more than just a highlight reel of both those bands' strengths to make Better Lovers an investment for me. If that makes sense, I know exactly what you mean. I know a hundred percent what you mean. Um, they are going. They. Uh, fortunately and unfortunately have a legacy that better lovers no matter what their quality is is going to be very hard for them to live up to you're talking about literally two of the best bands in mathy hardcore metalcore whatever you want to call it two of the best bands of all time in that genre or those genres mm -hmm. and for a super group or a new project from those members the shadow cast is going to be extremely long and that is something they're going to have to work to get out from under. And I know exactly what you mean of like, fuck, I could just go back and I could listen to fucking, you know, Dillinger. I could listen to every time. I know exactly what you mean. Anyway, I think that I think that's a shared kind of viewpoint, maybe yeah. that we would have both had. Um and then I allied that with like this fucking astronomical level of expectation. And then I press play on God Made Me an Animal. And we get Sacrificial Participant. Uh, I think that this like cracks open the EP in a really brilliant way. I think it's pretty banging. It's got like feedback into a classic technical Jordan Buckley riff. Some mad screams from Greg. I think the way the scream like erupts out of the ends of his verse lines is really fucking cool. Um, one thing that I didn't expect was that melodic like kill switch engage almost guitar line that's under the chorus. That was a huge surprise for me. I did not expect that at all. I don't recall it in either Every Time I Die or Dillinger. Um, I think the rhythm section of Machichi and Goose is really fucking great. They work really well together. They're so in sync, which you'd expect they're in the same band, Thing of Beauty. That atmospheric section that comes in is very Dillinger. But again, you get that metal Corey riff that comes in under the chorus. It's very cool, man. I think it unsettles the listener just a little bit because it, it contains a few little surprises. And I do like the outro breakdown as well. I think it's tasty as fuck. It's funny you say that because I totally agree and it's actually one of my favorite, probably my favorite cut on the CP because it's different because yeah. I, I, I basically press play expecting four 30, 30 under 13s. And when I heard this track, I went, oh, that's, I went, oh, that's quite, that's quite a melodic bent that's gone in. That's very, like you said, kill switching gagey. And I was like, I, I, yeah, checking back through my every time I die catalog, checking back. Yeah. Logging up. No, that's that's a trick neither of them have pulled before. And 
together it works because like I'll be honest, I I really didn't like <laughs> Killer Be Killed. I really was excited for that when it dropped and uh, it's just not my bag at all. But like great really for me either. Aside from a couple of songs, the first track off of the first record is a fucking monster. Uh, I can't think of what it's called. I can't remember it. But um, other than that, I agree with you. I'm not really in on it. Yeah. So, but Greg seems to, you know, Greg isn't sh- afraid of like a nice, catchy, melodious hook when he wants to. And, Absolutely not. You know, and the it's aforementioned really- setting fire to sleeping giants. Exactly. My, like my man can give a hook when he wants. So for him to really like push on this really croony Greg using that fucking lush voice of his with those really like you said those like that real melodic early noughties like metalcore but then still wrapped in this dank technical jagged southern tinted bent I really liked it I Mm. I I think this is the most this is the track I enjoy the most because it's the most different sounding I don't want I really don't want I didn't want this EP to just be the singer from the Dillinger Escape Plan over every time I die songs which is what I got worried about with 30 Under 13. Um, right, let's talk about 30 Under 13. Uh, this was the lead single. I absolutely rinsed the shit out of this song. Like, just as a little insight, listeners, I suggested that we do a whole episode on just this song when it came out, let alone as ridiculous as it is to do an episode on a 15-minute EP. But that's just where we are. And this is the level of excitement I had about this band, like, you know, so... Um, to be honest, man, I'm actually starting to feel about this song like I do about Underwater Bimbos or Prancer. I think it's fucking great. It starts like a bomb going off that. How far are you willing to reach? It's so cool, so big. I think it makes sense as a first single. It makes a lot of sense as a first single because yeah, it does totally. take Every Time I Die, Dillinger, as you know them, and kind of bring them together a little bit. But again, the more I think about it, the more I analyze this, and I have way overanalyzed this single just because of the length of time I've had with it. It does, like, I know every time I die, you had a, a kind of southern bent, but they never went full groove metal. They always kept it kind of resolutely steeped in hardcore or metalcore. But this actually has a full on, like, Lama God riffing section. And I think it's actually very Lamb of God sounding in part before it devolves into the more hot damn era every time I die. And I actually think, to answer one of my questions from beforehand, I think that Putney might have written some of the main riffs on this. They're kind of the big hulking groovy ones, but I don't know. And it doesn't really matter, you know. But as a kind of every time I die obsessive, these things are important to me, you know. <laughs> and I didn't see the thrash section coming in the song either. And this, as, that's sorry, that's what I wanted to say. That this, the more and more I've sat with this EP, and especially 30 under 13, the first half of the track, or first two thirds of the track, I felt I think I was constantly distracted by how it was and what I expected it to be. But the more and more I've gone back to it, especially this song, when it gets to that that thrash freak out that that's each time I come back to that it's like you know when you listen to a track like 10 times and a segment keeps surprising you yeah every time every time every time yeah it puts the rug out for me like yeah it's great and I think that that's uh, I think the little glimpse of the Andy Williams style like groovy smasher of a riff at the end is really welcome as well and I love the 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 very end of it with the you know, how far are you ready to rage with that the panic cardi kind of riff it's fucking outstanding I I'm 
I'm starting to go like fully all in on 30 under 13. I think it's great. And it, I, again, just to reiterate, I do, I absolutely 100% agree with you on initial listen. It is very much like tick, tick, tick. That's exactly what I thought it would be. But I do think with more, with more kind of diving into it, it does reveal itself a little bit more to have more than just that. I also find it refreshing that, you know, because like I'm going to, I have to put out my my gripes first and my initial anxieties. But I will say, you know, like I, I like I said, I was a latecomer to every time I die. But like Radical was one of my favorite albums of 2021. Radical is a stellar yeah. piece of work. Oh, but Dillinger, on the other hand, and I, I don't think I'm alone in this because I have plenty of like, Dillinger my, my mate I mentioned earlier who was the one who got me into Dillinger like I mean he would agree with me like solidly that from option paralysis onwards Dillinger never got bad but stagnation slowly started to show in their formula across one of us is the killer and disassociation they're still excellent albums but mm. like the fucking the absolute just insanity lightning in a bottle mind warp of Miss Machine and Ioworks and a lot of the cuts on Option Paralysis, it, they, they just started to run slightly out of steam because you can't expect a band to keep putting out Ioworks. And I think that's why Dillinger opted to go out on a high before they started. I think they were starting to recognize it in themselves. How many Dillinger albums can you do? How, I think they become a victim of their own back catalog, basically. Yes. You know, and like, I, I, I hate the use of the word stagnation for... You know, one of us is the killer and dissociation because I, I, I genuinely love both of those records. I too, full, like, full transparency, like I love everything Dillinger have ever put their names. Same, I think they're fucking, fucking incredible. But, but I, I, I also have to see the point to you that, yeah, <laughs> it was a little bit of yeah. Let, let me rephrase. Let me rephrase. Stagnation mightn't be the word, best term, but like you said, victim of their own back catalog. You have to think about how what Ioworks did to the scene in 2007 compared to what Disassociation could do to the scene when it came out. And was it 2016? Uh, yeah. I mean, as brilliant as it is, and there's some great tracks on that, by that time, mu- extreme music had gotten so extreme and Dillinger's influence had become so insidious that as good as this association is, it's not as intimidating as Ioworks was upon that release a decade prior because it just because Dillinger had set the bar so high for themselves and other people. So my point is that I've enjoyed like Greg solo stuff and like Black Queen's cool. And and like, and you know, I still go back to Dillinger all the time because they're one of my OG favorite bands. Like, but, it's really refreshing to hear Greg with that Dillinger level of unhinged, shrieking, howling, fucking break your fucking face with his vocal cords, but not over the standard Ben Weinman dissonant craziness. It It's a different, and even though there is the same kind to of- To describe fucking, anything Ben Wyman does as standard is hilarious, but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it just, it's, I refreshing, it's refreshing to hear Greg's vocals not in tandem with the writing of Ben Weinman. Yeah. But in the same ballpark, if that makes sense. I know exactly and, what you mean. So you must have liked Become So Small then, because it's fucking, it's like the guys in Every Time We Die and Will Putney said, right, 
just as a thank you to Greg, we're going to write him a kind of a Dillinger song. He's going to fucking rock out over it. Um, I wouldn't be surprised again if Putney wrote a lot of riffs on there. I think th- that it it smells like that to me. And I think that Goose absolutely fucking kills it and becomes so small, as does Greg. Because I think of the four, it sounds the one that's, to, to me at least, it's the one that's most relatable to just Dillinger, not yeah. Dillinger plus Every Time I Die, if that makes sense. It, it, it gives me... Um to be really pretentious a minute, it gives me like Dillinger before they discovered their like mathematical mayhem. Like even, it's almost like, it sounds like Greg singing for Dillinger if he was in Dillinger before he was in Dillinger. (laughs) No, I'm not talking about Calculating Infinity, but like that self-titled EP. Yeah. I love that EP, you know. amazing. um, Fucking brilliant songs on that. Uh, it's the Revenge of the Porno Clowns or the Porno. What's the one? Ah, fuck! I can't think of the name of it now. The one where it's like, "Stop laughing!" Da, 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 da. I can't think of the name of it now. But that EP was like before Calculating Infinity happened, and Dillinger like cracked the code of just nonsensical songwriting. So that self-titled EP is still rooted in quite like frenetic technical hardcore, and that's what. Uh, so become so small uh seems like to me it's like it's like early dillinger before greg was in the band if greg was in the band if that makes any fucking sense no i know exactly what you mean and i i think i i do think it's it's very reflective of them trying to bed in a new vocalist and trying to you know you know mold themselves into his image as well and I, i think i think it really works really well i think musically it's really fucking good um, which brings us then to the closing title track, God Made Me an Animal. I love the the Western, like cowboyish intro that it's comes awesome. on. And I thought, oh, we might be getting a more introspective style song. No, because uh, this song is absolutely fucking bananas. It's like Mastodon sped up by at least double. Um, and we get some like clean vocals from Greg here, but he keeps them on the harsh side of of you know of melody. It's like got that rasp and that growl and that gravel to it. Um, but you know the section the uh, uh, anything to get us closer, closer, closer. That bit, I love that bit. It's so good. Greg is the man. Like he's just so fucking good. Like, and I think the way that the song transitions out of its kind of melodic midsection back into the riff storm of the main body is a thing of beauty. I think the riffs are unbelievable on this song, and I love the the almost the the fake finish, and then it goes God, man, man. it's just so good. And this little blast at the end, I really really like it, and I think it tops off the EP really really well. You see, I think that. I'm starting to get to a point now where my first few listens of this EP, I'll be totally honest, I I was a victim of my own past knowledge because... Which is very understandable. Yeah, because every time it got... When it sounded very Every Time I Die-esque in the riffs of the grooves, I kept... I was a dick, man. I kept like... I was listening to the songs, I was reading the lyrics, and I was like... I wonder what I wonder what like I wonder how much more quirky Keats lyrics would have been on this type of song, and I'm wondering what Keats kind of delivery would be here. I'm like, mm, I'm on. Does Greg have the Keithness that like would suit if this was in Every Time I Die cut? And then I and then on the more frenetic moments, I'd be like, you know, oh, 
this is very Dillinger-y and Greg's going apeshit, but like, you know, it doesn't have like the spasmodic fucking nightmare fuel of Ben Wyman and Dillinger. And then I had to be like, dude, like, you're not listening to Dillinger every time I die. Dillinger are broken up. Every time I die are broken up. We could have no EP to listen to, but we have better lovers to listen to. So like, you know, stop, stop thinking about past projects and what's not there and, and listen to what is happening here. Think about why you love Greg from Dillinger and think about why you love the members of Every Time I Die and let them be, stop thinking about Keith. Stop thinking about Ben Weinman. Think about the members who are here giving me new music. And when I kind of got to that point where I was able to fucking put my blinders up to that shit and appreciate this for what it was, I will say for a four track, 15 minute quarter of an hour introductory EP with the pressure on their shoulders there is a poignant fucking calculation for all four of these cuts to kind of not be indicators of where they could go because I mean you got opening track like we said got that kill switch engage vibe then 30 under 13 is the song that like everyone assumed they would sound like then become so small is just a feral fucking breakneck pace cut. And then this ending track, like you said, I mean, it has it has that Western neo-noir kind of bent at the beginning, and then it gets so intense, yet the Greg has this, like, melody in him, and, and it's refreshing to hear Greg back with that ferocity. And even after a bunch of listens to this EP, I'm like, they could really, like, just fucking, like, they could run with any one of these songs into an album or the album could branch off in all of these directions or it could go somewhere completely else. It, it really is like, um, it's an introductory EP. I don't think this is a statement of this is Better Lovers. It's more like, a, hey, hey, do you want an idea of what Better Lovers might be? Try this out. But, like, yeah. but you, there's no fucking, there's no guarantees here on this EP yet. I think you've absolutely nailed that, man. I, I look, I, I'm going to hold my hands up. This is about as close to a home run of a collection of musicians that you could ever assemble for me. You know what I mean? It just is. So I love this because of course I do. It's specifically made for me. Like, like I have no choice in the matter. I have to love this. But I want a full length now. And I think then, then we can start to compare to their respective back catalogs. Because right now, as you said, this is an introduction. This is, we're better lovers. This is what some of us is going to sound like. This might not necessarily reflect the whole thing. And that's cool, man. That's exciting. I think when we stop comparing them, or if we can get to the point where we can stop comparing them to their past bands, that would have been a huge success for them. Because realistically, this laid on into, into all of their careers they're probably not going to start a project that's going to reach the legacy point of an Every Time I Die or a Dillinger. Because just in terms of time-wise, I mean, both of those bands worked for, you know, 15 plus, you know, 20 years to to reach the level that they achieved. Do you, do you know what allow, I mean? Allow me to use the the old metaphor I've used before for when this happens with bands where, you know, if you're queuing up for the front row of an arena show for two days and then something happens, an emergency, and you have to leave the queue. And then you have to go to the back of the queue again. There's no way you're getting up to the front row now. No. If you have to go to the back of the queue and start again, you're, you're going to get somewhere in the crowd, but you're not making it to the front row like you would have been when you were in that front spot. Yeah. And that's kind of... The, there. It is impossible 
for them to bring better lovers up because like you said i mean these bands were active since the fucking 90s like they don't they don't they're not they don't have they don't have enough years in their life to fucking start this legacy again not and playing this type of music of like you know not no. playing i mean dillinger made a conscious decision to bow out because they had reached the the highest point they would ever reach the annoying thing about every time I die was they were starting to maybe settle into a pattern where they could possibly achieve more mainstream adulation. Yeah. Uh, but look, that that is what it is. It's a moot point at this stage. I think, like I said, it's pointless. Uh, what's the comparison is the enemy of joy is the is the phrase, isn't it? I think, and I think that while it's impossible to not compare them to their previous projects, if they can reach a point where you're just talking about better lovers as better lovers rather than Greg from Dillinger and the boys from Every Time I Die, then that'll be a success in itself. Yeah. And I, I'm I'm really excited to see where this goes. Uh, my desire for a full length is actually approaching kind of rabid, to be honest. I watched their their debut live show on, on YouTube and there was two unreleased songs in it as well. And they sound really cool. Um, the band do seem really new on stage though. You know, the chemistry between Putney and Greg and the three others isn't quite there yet, you know. But I think it will, you know, it obviously the other three are fucking locked in. But um, I think it will come, like, because this doesn't feel like a mercenary appointment, you know, to rope Greg in, you know. It's not just, let's get Greg, that'll get headlines. It feels like a project, you know. And there was something that I wanted to touch on as well, that I think if you die, if you dove into the lyrics on this, a lot of them could be seen to be directed at Keith uh, because there's a lot of stuff about betrayal and all this stuff. But betrayal and like moving on from that and calling someone a cunt, I mean, is very much in Greg's lyrical wheelhouse as it is. So is- I, if if Greg wrote the lyrics, I doubt they're about Keith. And, you know, I think that this this should be its own project. And I think that we need to allow them the room to breathe and become their own thing. You know. It's funny. It's funny you say that because I, I I agree with you on two fronts. Because Greg, most of his lyrics are usually like taking someone to task. He's usually exactly. he's usually out for blood when yeah. he's writing his lyrics. Like um, the other thing I would say is, you know, if Greg did write the lyrics, which I, I imagine he did, I think he did. It wouldn't. I would see it more in line with like. And again, you know, holding my hands up, dear listeners, you know, this is pure conjecture on our part. But like I have seen comments from other members of Dillinger Escape Plan in the years since they've broken up, like like little sideline comments about members not seeing eye to eye about very serious personal things and and like not wanting to go into that. The thing that you know differentiates the breakup of Dillinger and the, the breakup of Every Time I Die was that it was public. From little whisperings I've heard, and I think you were alluding to. I think the breakdown of communication in Dillinger was nearly as bad as it was in Every Time I Die. There was yeah. some real attritional shit going on there. And that was also, along with kind of having said everything they needed to say, a reason to call it a day. And yeah. I've seen comments. I think from... that's kind of a, a well known secret ish. You yes. know what I mean? I think it's, so, it is out there. So it wouldn't surprise me if he is alluding to someone, maybe past member of Dillinger, because Dillinger had so many members, or. And that's why it makes sense that you could apply it to Keith as well, because it's yeah. the same kind of, you it know. Kind of, yeah. It comes yeah. back to, uh, to, to go on a quick uh, tangent for a second, when Wade McNeil 
replaced Frank Carter in Gallows. And the first song they put out was that 40-second cut, True Colors. Mm. And the song was very much, you know, if it looks like a snake and it moves like a snake and it bites like a snake, then it's a fucking snake. Yeah. And like, and everyone was like, oh, is this about Frank? And I was like, oh, but what if it's about like Dallas leaving Alexis on fire? And it was like, oh, but what if it's about neither? You know, what if Wade is just writing it about another cunt in his personal life at that time, you know? But, but, like, but the inter- Frank Carter did the same thing as well, didn't he? I'm so sick of singing about haste, you know, yeah. <laughs> in pure and, love. And, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, but then he wrote another, then he went, then when pure love fucking flopped, he started Frank Carter and the whatevers and like yeah. had a lot of distant gallows. And it's what like, was dude, it? I'm choking in, uh, ah, fuck it. We don't have time for this. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. But it, but yeah, but that's kind of the, one of the reasons I actually don't like Frank Carter that much as a person because he basically wanted Gallows to go in a pure love direction. They were like, no, that's not what Gallows is. He went in the pure love direction. It flopped. Gallows kept getting heavier. And then Frank decided to start a punk project again because that's what everyone liked him for. And then he started dissing Gallows like it was Gallows' fault. It was like, dude, you wanted Gallows to go pure love and they didn't. And then you got back to punk and started c- accusing them of like, whatever, I... A bit messy, I think. Uh, very messy, yeah. Very messy. Better. But like, Again, another I, pod for another time. You know, but like, I think that that's, you know, that's the thing, you know, I, I mean, bands, they spend so much time with each other. Mm. You ha- And like, Ben Wyman and Greg Pucciato were the two driving forces of Dillinger. Yeah. I think that's fair for anyone to say. They're both huge personalities and hugely creative people. They're not going to see eye to eye all the time and that can reach a boiling point. But, you know, I just think that we, as you said, we mightn't, we 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 might not have any EP. You know, the fact that we have this is cool in itself. Um, so look, I'm all on board, but I want a full length, and then we can start really judging them because, as you said, I think the best way to think about this is like a sample. It's an introductory, yeah. a little tasting, and this it feels fucking like- tastes delicious to me. Like I'm fucking on board, you know. This EP doesn't feel complete in the sense that this doesn't feel like the boys went into a studio or like, let's craft a four track EP to get people on board with what we're about. And then we'll start working on that. This feels like they got into the studio. The floodgates came out, they clicked, they started writing, they started recording and were like, slow down, slow down. They were like, rather than like keep people in the fucking, in the wings for a year, while we come up with an album, let, let's let's take four of these cuts that we've got that are all a bit different from one another and let's slap it into an EP and just drop the fuck out of it on people so it'll give them something to digest while we're figuring out a full length. That's what this feels like. That's why each one of the four tracks seems to kind of go in a slightly different sonic avenue. So it's letting people know that like all of these ideas are, are, are things we're kicking around the office in the studio and they could all become a peer in the full length. But th- so like you said, and like I said, this is very much, it feels less like this is our first EP. This is who we are as a band and more. This is a behind the scenes sampler of what's going, what we're cooking up. But like th- this is waiting appetite while a full length is in the works. Definitely. This isn't, this isn't the opening statement. This is a sampler. This is a taster, I think. Well, I, I, yeah, I think it is an opening statement in the sense that obviously it's the, our introduction to them. It's the first thing we hear from them, but I don't think, as you said, it's, the full summation of what we're going to get from Better Lovers. It's, you know, this is some, these are some things we can do and we can also do other shit that you haven't heard yet. And that's fucking cool, you know? And the reason we did a whole podcast on this is because of the legacy of their previous bands. Yeah, I'm hoping that 
another point, you know, we can do a podcast about this band because of that band. And that would be cool. That would be really cool. Yeah. And um, yeah, I'm I'm super excited. I I I can't help it, you know. I I'm really, really on board. I love this, man. I love it so much. I've listened to it over and over and over again. It's really dominated my listing for the past couple of weeks. So yeah, yeah I, I mean, I'm I'm well on board. Yeah, I'm really enjoying this too. Like I said, I know I'm I might have sounded quite picky at the beginning, but it really I'm just trying to show my feelings that it has taken multiple listens and because of my history with the bands that I've really had to put aside my every time I die knowledge and my Dillinger knowledge and really appreciate this for what it is. And like I said earlier, you know, oh, I could be listening every time I die. I could be listening to Dillinger. I was like, yeah, but I can't be listening to a new every time I die or Dillinger release in 2023, can I? But I have better lovers. Exactly. So, yeah. So, and I and think, not- man, everything you kind of raised, I could not criticize you for, or I, could, I can't argue with it because I mean, I'm sure there will be thousands of people with the exact same reservations going into this project. And that's completely understandable, you know? And I just think that it, when we can kind of separate ourselves from that a little bit, we can actually yeah. start to judge this on its own. And that's kind of the way we should deal with everything. But unfortunately, when you have a legacy, like every time I die, our Dillinger, it's very hard to, to to actually remove yourself from it. But yeah, I think I think God made me an animal is a great fucking way to, as you said, give you a sample of what this band are about. And uh, the only as word you alluded I, to, I'm really fucking happy it's here. <laughs> yeah. And the the, the, only, the last word I will use on this, which is the first word that came into my head when I heard 30 under 13. And the more and more I listen to the EP, <laughs> you know, it's it sounds and I mean this is a compliment, it sounds a bit effortless. Yeah, yeah, it really yeah. just sounds like the boys linked up and we're like, oh yeah, <laughs> like, we can fucking we, do this. We can fucking do this in our sleep. Yeah. Like, let's give the people what they want. And that's another thing. This seems like it's an equal. We want to make music again because we have more shit to say, and it's like we don't want to rob you of fucking ro- groovy riffs and frenetic songwriting and Greg being an animalistic primal feral monster. Like, if you if you miss us. You know, this is for you as well. It feels like it's as much for the the OGs as it's for themselves. And yeah, I'm I'm the more and more I listen to it, the more and more I'm like, oh, give me a full length, give me a full length. So yeah, I'm I'm very I am very on board with this, 100. I am. Me too. And uh, I think that's a perfect place to leave it. So thank you so much for listening. Check out Better Lovers. It is. Uh, you you could have listened to it four times in the length it's taken <laughs> you to listen to this podcast. Uh, but thanks as always for joining us. We really, really appreciate it. This has been For The Record. My name is Sean Tierney. His name is Zach Buggy. Talk to you next week. Music is the best. Bye.